Greetings, podcast enthusiasts near and far. I'm Paulette Gloria Harwood, and I'm your host of Thriving in Chaos. As podcasts are the trendy things to do these days, I thank you for sharing the love by tuning in. I'm thrilled you're listening to the sparkling examples of excellence in womanhood I find and curate. I believe these inspiring, wise, powerful, trailblazing souls light the way for us as we each learn to gracefully navigate our journeys. As a certified divorce coach, I have been witness to confusion, sadness, change, and growth. I have learned that all we really need is to share our knowledge, support, and love to guide our sisters to all the possibilities in life. I am dedicated to helping clients leave behind the turmoil, confusion, and chaos of divorce while adding value to their best life with tips, tools, and personal experience. If you are so inspired, please subscribe to my podcast and share with others you think who may benefit. And now, let's thrive in chaos. Welcome to the show. This is the podcast, Thriving in Chaos. I am your host, Paulette Gloria Harwood, and this is my podcast. So welcome to the show, everybody. And today, I have, I don't know, I'm getting all tingly in my toes and my fingers, getting ready to... um, introduce you to this kind of trailblazing woman who just wrote an incredible book. Uh, The book is entitled, You're Still That Girl, Get Over Your Abusive Ex for Good. And her name is Susanna, or Susanna Quintana. She's going to have to correct me. I don't know if it's just an accent. I'm not sure. So, but welcome to the show, Susanna. I'm so delighted that you're here. I don't really know how I found you, but I believe in karma. And when I saw your story and I read your book, I literally, the hair stood up on my arm, my arms, because I had very similar experiences. And as a certified divorce coach, I work with a lot of clients that are constantly saying, he does this and he does that. And I don't know if it's me or I don't know if it's him, but I'm not an expert in this field, and I don't pretend to be anyone that I'm not. I have been studying it, but not enough to really get into the um, expertise that you yourself had. So when I ran into your name and your story and your amazing book, and by the way, you are a great writer. Your story was incredibly engaging and so well-written. I just had to reach out to you and welcome you to the show. So thank you for taking this time of your day and carving it out of your life to really educate me and my audience into this whole world of how to get out of an abusive relationship. So welcome to the show and thank you. Thank you, Paulette. Um, thank you for asking me. And like, you know, I had mentioned before, I don't know how we connected either, but I too believe in karma. So, um, and the reason that I'm here and, um, yes, you did a great job at pronouncing my name. 
<laughs> yes, it's it's like it, there's a gringa, you know, gringo pronunciation, and then there's the Spanish pronunciation. So either one works. I will answer to either one. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really honored. Well, I know that that there are some cliche words out is authenticity and another one is vulnerability and lately I've been hearing the word narcissist thrown around like it was you know what do you want for so right that isn't to bring any discredit or disharmony to catch phrases as they become popular you know um, I tend to be that type of person that when I over, when I hear the same over I changed the channel and when I hear the right. same <laughs> do you remember that like you're stuck in the you know, like if I hear yeah. the song one more time and then uh, the same thing kind of goes eating the same food or wearing the same clothes or these little catchphrases so you know uh, over the last maybe it's just because it's on because of the work that I've been doing, working with, with mostly professional and entrepreneurial women that are more in high conflict of divorce, mm -hmm. but they're the type of women, um, as well as stay-at-home mothers, I have to say, who um, really put up and shut up with a lot of misbehavior because we're so yeah. darn busy with having babies and trying to get to work and get the school and do homework and multitask until our brains are ready to explode that we kind of overlook a lot of bad behavior or behavior and we excuse it and we make excuses or well he's just having a bad day um right. and you know uh, there are a lot of female narcissists out there too so and i do yes. have some male clients so uh, i maybe if i'm generalizing i i want to immediately just excuse the misnomer organizations but you know the title of your book is your girl not your boy yes. so you know i guess for you and i in this conversation in this meaningful conversation this podcast interview we will just to kind of keep it at that but please know that i and i believe you too it, you know the fact that narcissism is not is is not a a, a gender is that right. correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. I just deal with, um, as well, my book is called, you're still that girl, like you said. Um, and I work with only women, um, solely. Well, there's a couple reasons. First, the obvious reason is because that was my experience. I don't know what it's like to be a male and be an abusive, be on, you know, be a victim of abuse. So I speak from my experience and tell my story. Um, and, um, and the second reason is because, Overall, the majority of abusers are male and the majority of abuse victims are female. Yeah. So, um, so for those two reasons, but that does not discount in any way that men can also be victims of, of narcissist partners.
Right. Well, that's good. I'm glad that we kind of just cleared that. And the book, the cover of your book is so pretty. So I just love it. Thank it's a you. lovely photograph. So could you just share for a few moments your background and your upbringing and your story so that everybody can sort of understand why you would take the time to sit and write your story to be to share it and, and help and support others through this very difficult, but yet incredibly timely um, catchphrase, because I do believe that yeah. it's getting more and more recognition. So um, I could just visit that I think there's an excessive amount of narcissistic characters out there, and maybe we blame Hollywood or on theater or blame it on you know the politicians and the people out there that really do have those incredibly outgoing grandiose personalities but that isn't really the case when it comes down to marriage and relationships i would assume that right. narcissistic characters you know drew a portrait of maybe when they go home they aren't that way in, at all they're much more um quiet and a little more introverted and they wear a different mask when they're outside at, in public but when they go home but i don't know what those people are like when they go home too i do know that yeah. this being um you know or male wear a different kind of um mask or shall we say you know, have a drastically different personality out in public than they do in in person but for the most part I'm assuming that when you're in an, uh, a relationship with somebody and they they are they act a very different way when they're home so if you don't mind sharing right. your backstory and everybody could really, really just a a fad or a catchphrase that it's a right. it's a phenomenon and it seems to be on the rise and I think the education that bring to the table is so needed and thank you for telling your story yeah sure I mean first I'd really like to address exactly what you said about it seems like narcissism is all the rage right part of the <laughs> because narcissists yeah. are known as ragers um but um you know I believe that there's nothing new under the sun I think what's 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 just uh what what seems like narcissists are everywhere is just the awareness mm. surrounding narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder but but you're absolutely right in that it is mm. taken out of context in in um oh, no. many situations yes can you hi Paulette Hey, Susanna. So continue to tell us uh, where you left off with sure. the story. Sure. So we were talking about the awareness around narcissism and, and it seems like everybody's a narcissist, right? Everybody's just throwing that word around like crazy. And, um, you know, that's, that's why I do what I do to try to spread awareness and tell my own story, because the sad truth is that, you know, narcissistic abuse is a really dangerous and damaging abuse that ruins lives. Um, so it's, you know, when people are just throwing around calling everybody a narcissist, um, you know, it can, uh, it can put off the seriousness of when somebody is an actual narcissist and the abuse that they inflict. And, um, and just like you said about what happens behind closed doors, and that's another reason why I keep telling my story, is that narcissists have a uh, 
a gift for, you know, a, appearing to putting on a mask and appearing in front of public and everybody else is these charming, wonderful individuals. And meanwhile, they're inflicting, you know, great damage and trauma upon their spouses and children at home behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so, and, and for, as far as my own story and experience is that I was married to a diagnosed narcissist for 16 years. Um, he wasn't diagnosed until the very end of the marriage. And I had no idea that I was even a victim of abuse, um, until I got out because that's another, you know, uh, stigma around abuse is that you think it has to come with bruises and broken bones. So victims of emotional abuse, especially at the hands of a narcissist, um, tend to suffer far longer in the darkness because A, we don't even realize that we are victims and B, we're so emotionally beaten down that um, we don't, and isolated that we don't even know what to do. So one of the first things that I did as soon as I escaped and I was lucky enough uh, to find a psychologist who we had gone to for marriage counseling. And, um, and he was the one, he was the first one to tell me because he was a, you know, he was an expert on narcissistic personality disorder and is the one that diagnosed my ex at the time. Um, and he was the first one to tell me, get out, um, which sounds, you know, which sounds oppositional of what a psychologist, right? A marriage counselor would tell you, right? Especially on the first um, time, but that's exactly what he told me. And he educated me on what a narcissist actually was. So that started my journey on researching everything I could about narcissism. And that was when I finally realized that I was a victim. Um, And then I started my journey of recovering and healing. And um, you know, what I do today, it's not what I wrote in my high school yearbook all those years ago, back in 1986, you know, um, as far as what I wanted to be when I grew up. But this path sort of chose me, this purpose chose me, um, because I'm on the same road as any other victim who's still in the grips of the abuse. I just happen to be further down the road. So I have that foresight and, um, you know, hindsight and perspective um, to help because I've been there, right, to, to help. That's why I do what I do, because, you know, I want to spread awareness. And um, even though my ex would love for me to shut up, I'm going to keep talking um, and tell my story just to let others out there know. Because, again, you know, when you're a victim of emotional abuse of any kind, but especially with a narcissist, it's a very isolating feeling and you feel like you're all alone. You blame yourself for all your problems, for all your marital problems. So um, that's why I keep, you know, telling my story and just to let victims know that they're not alone. They're not crazy. And, um, and then give them the tools to escape, recover and heal. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, um, you mentioned a little bit about the the behind closed doors, you know, and the, yeah. But what is what are if you could share with the audience out there, and and I know myself, I have several clients right now that are at the beginning of the journey, who are just beginning to really feel brave enough to utter the N word, or even. Uh, ask questions about or start to be curious about just exactly the warning signs. But 
What, what yeah. do you know? What can you share with, with people out there listening? What would be your, I don't want to say a number, but the top warning signs that you should look out for to know whether they're just having a bad day or they're yeah. lumpy. Um, but what's the difference between being married to somebody who is a little bit controlling or a little bit jealous and just a little bit uh, insecure versus full-fledged narcissistic abuse? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, so the, I, and I used to do the same things. I used to excuse his behavior because we, you know, women, we are taught that by society with our men, right? With the men we love is that we're either going to fix them, help them change them, um, make them be better husbands, fathers, people, whatever it is. Um, and the other thing that we're conditioned to do as women is stick it out, right? We need to work harder in the marriage. We can't just give up. We can't just quit. Um, we have to put up with it or whatever. And so, um, so the difference is, is like what I would do is I would make excuses and I would call his behavior. My favorite word was inappropriate, mm. right? So I would make these excuses, um, whenever he would do something and, um, you know, you know, let's say that he uh, was flirting with a teenage girl, I would just excuse it, you know, hey, your behavior is really inappropriate. And then he would apologize and say he would change, he would never change. Um, then things like then there were um, bigger things that, you know, again, at the time, um, the difference between an emotionally healthy person and a um, and a narcissist, for example, is that when they, when a person who loves you and respects you and cherishes, cherishes you makes a mistake, and that could even be a, as big of a mistake and error as even infidelity, right? Um, but at that point, there, there are amends to be made. That person, if they actually love you and they're not a narcissist and they are an emotionally healthy person, will do everything in their power to change their behavior because they want um, because they want to show you how sorry they are, yeah. right? Yeah. Compared to a narcissist who will just, if they do apologize, which is with some narcissists is quite rare. Um, my ex used to apologize a lot just to get me to shut up. And then he would go on and continue his behavior, mm. right? Um, so narcissists don't change. That's the first red flag. Mm. Um, narcissists, you know, emotionally healthy people who love you and cherish you and respect you, um, won't set you up for failure. They won't steal the light in the room, steal the energy in the room from you, right? They, they, don't, um, they don't relish your pain. Um, narcissists are notorious for standing back and watching you suffer, right? This is something that I hear from women over and over and over again. And I would have said the same thing with my ex is you can be in your deepest, darkest pain because of something they've done let's say cheated on you or lied to you or just did some, you know, huge thing that made you hurt. And yet they stand back and they just watch you as if you're on fire and they're just watching you burn. Right. They're not going to offer you a bucket of water to put yourself out. Right. Um, so with narcissists, it's very, it's tricky though, because this is not who they are in the beginning. You see, because, and that's where a lot of victims feel so guilty and shameful and also where society condemns us because you're like, well, why did you stay so long? Or why mm -hmm. did you even get involved with 
somebody who was so terrible, right? But um, but narcissists are master manipulators. So in the beginning, which could be the first few years, like in my case, right, where um, yes, there were tiny red flags, but overall, he was the man of my dreams. I mean, he said everything I wanted to hear. He did everything I wanted a man to do um, till the point where I was drawn in and hooked um, completely. And then you get married and then you have children. So you have all these emotional investments, you know, with him. So once the change starts happening, which which happens over, you know, over time and slowly, um, you you train yourself to sort of make those excuses. Right. Because you just know the good guy who was at the beginning, right? So when they start, when their mask starts falling off, you find yourself making excuses for them. And that's why I said, like, my favorite line was, my favorite word was inappropriate. Um, and it wasn't until I got out of it and I looked, now that I look back and I realized, oh my God, um, the stuff that just was happening, you know, over such a long period of time that I turned the other way because, the other thing that's going along with these types of manipulators and abusers is that they're wearing you down emotionally and they're conditioning you to think a certain way about yourself. So by the time that their mask actually falls off, you know, like in my case, I was so beaten down. I, I, I had put myself into sort of an emotional coma because the pain every day was so great and I, I couldn't deal with it. Combined with the fact that I didn't have bruises or broken bones to show, so I thought nobody would believe me. And then combine that with everybody loved him because he was so charming and wonderful. Mm -hmm. And um, meanwhile, I just stayed home a lot, right? And stayed out of public view and stopped seeing people and so forth. So it's just like this trifecta of um, gaslighting and manipulation and pathological lying that, you know, where's what you know, like I used to be when I went into this, I was an incredibly strong, talented, smart, creative woman. And at the end, I remember looking into the mirror and going, I don't even know who she is. Right. Yeah. I don't feel smart. I don't feel strong. I don't feel talented or creative or any of those things that, that I was at the beginning. I just felt like a pathetic mess toward the end. So I didn't have that strength to do anything, but just get up, you know, each day and make it from from dawn to dusk at that point. Right, yeah. Well, I just wanna ask you, you know, you mentioned those feelings of being an emotional coma and feeling as yeah. if, like I don't have any bruises and I don't have anything to prove, so I must be going right. crazy. But a lot of the women I deal with um, at the very beginning of the journey of the confusion of, of I don't know if I need to get divorced. I don't know if we can go to couples counseling, but I know he's keeping secrets and he doesn't act normal, quote unquote. Right. I'm confused. I'm scared. I'm, I'm keeping secrets myself because I, I find if I share feelings that I'm just going to get criticized more. So I'm just going right. to be small and I'm going to pretend I'm okay. And I'm going to kind of lead this double life where I can, you know, keep my feelings to myself. And, and not share and a feeling of being overwhelmed and very fearful. But the question I get all the yes. time or the statement is, I don't know, am I crazy? Because no one will believe me because everybody right. loves him. They think he's wonderful. Uh, yep. Comment, you know, you're a great guy you have to complain about. 
how does a woman who is feeling that, um, I always hear like, I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel, um, or keep yep. reliving the same day because I ask, you know, yep. these things need to change in order for the marriage to work, or I'm leaving, or I need to leave, but yet 10 years later, they're still there. So yep. what is it that you can, how do you determine, um, if you're in a relationship like this, whether it's really just somebody who is angry or um, needs some comforting or whether they're really narcissists, which I guess my real question is like, what makes a narcissist? Are they born or are they bred? You know, that's a great question. And, um, and there are different theories about that, but I'm going to do, I'm going to say something about narcissists that, um, you know, uh, that kind of goes against convention. And my whole thing is that when you have suffered, you know, so deeply, and there's no denying when you're in pain, right? And if you're feeling crazy, and you're feeling hurt, and this person in front of you who you love, and you've invested into has, has not only hurt and seemed to punish you on purpose, right, and cause you pain on purpose without without and maybe even offering apologies but without any changed behavior right at that point it comes to a question of you know what who gives a shit how he got to be the way he is right, right? right. because we need to turn all the energy onto ourselves and there came a point in my own healing where i had to say okay i know enough about what happened to me so that i can realize that i was a victim of narcissistic abuse and the reason that's important is because once I can see the, the truth for what it is, then I can start the journey of healing because I understand what happened to me. Yeah. Um, but then there comes a point where, and it's tempting, of course, to figure out, you know, well, why would he do this? Why, 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 why did he get like this? Why was it something I did? Right. And, you know, at that point, I realized that, okay, that is energy going in the absolute wrong direction. Yeah. Right. Um, but again, it comes down to, uh, you know, the fact that you're standing in front of somebody and you have to ask yourself some really tough questions. And this is the reason that women on average return to their abuser uh, an average of seven times. Mm. And the reason is, is because the truth is really, really hard to accept. I'm going to tell you that it, that's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But it's the most rewarding because it's going to get you through to the other side. Yeah. But if you but if you don't accept those truths and the illusion of what happened to you, of your relationship with the narcissist, because in essence, it is an illusion because they're not who they're telling you they are. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're not loving a real person who 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 is actually that person. You're loving a facade of a person. Right. And that's why they can so easily present a different facade to the public. Um, so, so yeah, it, it definitely comes down to that moment of, okay, am I willing to see this for what it is? And there's some, you know, very basic questions to ask yourself as far as, you know, one of the questions that I asked myself was, would I do this to him? Right. So if, if, if I had made a mistake, if I had like, um, you know, lied to him on whatever it is, if I, if I had hurt him in some way. Would I continue to do that same behavior as if I didn't have a conscience, right? right? Yeah. 
Um, so when I would ask myself those questions, that was, that was really hard because I realized this person in front of me that I've invested 16 years of my life, had children with, married, you know, created a future with, um, this person was not who he said he was. And in fact, does not love me, does not even know what love is. Um, and, um, unfortunately, you know, for all your listeners who are about to get a divorce from a narcissist. Um, the real hell is coming because that's when narcissists truly show their, their true colors. And, um, and as far as something else you said about, you know, staying that long, um, and how the reason is, is that narcissists are masters at what's called bait and switch and love bombing. And what that means is that with love bombing, that's in the beginning of the relationship where they will they will mold into everything that you want, right? They will be whatever it is that you want them to be so that you will fall for them hook, line, and sinker, and they'll, they'll have you, right? So once the abuse begins and they want you to stick around for it, if you were to stand up and say, which I did often, and said, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this. Um, this is wrong. I'm not putting up with this. I even threatened to leave a couple of times, right? And at this point is when they do, uh, they bait you back in with that love bombing. They turn into that guy that, that you knew before where you're like, oh, okay, there he's back, right? So there's the guy that I love and that I know. And then so you go back to them where you believe them again that they're going to change. And then they switch to being, you know, the cruel, um, the Jekyll and Hyde that they are. They just, they just constantly become, as time passes, they become more of the bad guy. Right. Right. Um, and that's one thing that the psychologist, why I credit the psychologist with saving my life, mm. to, be, to be quite honest, because he was very upfront with me about the fact that um, the damage that had been done to me, um, there's no way that he could have, not that he would have tried because narcissists don't care, mm. um, but he would have never been able to make it up to me. And also narcissists, you know, the psychologist said that they see other people as supply. They see them as not even human beings, mm -hmm. just so they can get what they need. Right. Um, and that's why during the divorce process, especially if you leave them, um, that's when you see that true um, cruelty coming out, right? right? Because they're, they're, they're discarding you, they're, they're punishing you, um, but this beginning process, when you're first leaving or thinking about leaving, or you've just left and you're, you know, you're trying to heal your wounds and lick your wounds. Um, the reason it's so hard is because you've been conditioned for so long to think a certain way, which it usually includes you feeling terrible about yourself, having no self-worth, having no self-esteem, thinking it's all your fault. Right. Um, and that shame, you know, keeps you isolated. It keeps you from reaching out. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible place to be for, um, for, for victims of narcissists. I see that. So Susanna, from this moment, I mean, I think we've kind of heard a little bit about your story. Um, and everybody up her book and we'll talk about that later in the interview. I know she's going to offer it to everybody on the call. So don't jump off the call. You're going to want to hear the rest of this interview. But from the research I've done and the clients I've worked with, that there tends to be stages of narcissistic abuse. And I guess that the first word that I, I can use is they kind of idealize you and choose you as a target where 
They right. look for your vulnerabilities and what you are willing to tolerate before in previous behavior or previous conversations or experiences because they watch you and they interact yes. how you how you interact with your family and your friends and they to notice like what you're good at and what your weaknesses are. Because let's face it, we're all human. Nobody comes with instructions. Kids don't come right. with instructions. Jobs don't come with instructions. And family doesn't come with instructions. And while right. we're at it, neither does marriage, right? I mean, when you stand there at the church and you promise to love and cherish and obey and, you know, blah, 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 um, you, there isn't like, oh, and here's the instruction manu manual bride right. and here's the instruction manual groom and if you do all these things everything will be great but no you kiss the bride and you turn around and you walk out of the church and you have a big wedding and you go on with your lives and you have a few kids and before you know it you realize how did my happily ever after turn into all of this um confusion and overwhelm and fear and lack of communication and lack of connect well it's usually because that person, if you're in a dysfunctional marriage, keeps secrets from you regarding money or relationships, and they don't treat you as an equal partner. And they really right. have chosen you for status and jobs and attractiveness, or maybe even popularity and success. And they're really vigilant in their pursuit, which is the love bombing. Am I correct? Absolutely. That yeah, absolutely. The thing with the, the cards and the flowers and the poems and the dating and then. Oh, for sure. Yeah. A little bit of jealousy and attachment and they fall in love like in three weeks. Yeah, like, that's it. <laughs> it sounds it sounds crazy. And if you know, if you would have asked me before this all happened, I would have been like, oh, no, that is there's you know that you can't fall in love that fast. You can't you know, love doesn't move that fast, but I'm telling you within weeks of meeting my ex, he was telling me that I was the mother of his unborn children. Um, I, I, and he I, would recite poems in public to me. Um, he was just, and again, I came from a place where this was all new to me. I thought I had found the man of my, I thought I'd hit the jackpot of men. Yeah, right. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, he's so romantic and he's so passionate. And, and, you're exactly right as far as, you know, um, what they do is everything about you that is good, you know, all of your strengths. That's exactly what they get to know. Um, they get to know your, you know, your most intimate details from the past because the whole point of that is so that they can uh, um, target that against you, right. right? And break you down for it. Later yeah. On. So, for example, you know, in the beginning, he would always tell me, you know, what a great mother I was, what a great, how smart I was with money, how creative I was, all these, all these things about myself that I believe too, you know, all these great qualities about myself. And wouldn't you know, those were exactly over the years, the things he broke down in me to the point where at the end of the marriage, I didn't believe any of these things about myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, so, so they target that on purpose and also learn your most intimate details and relationships of the past and present with your family. Um, you know, for example, my ex knew that um, my father was abusive and was very controlling and verbally abusive and was, um, didn't have a loyal bone in his body. I mean, was just, you know, still is to this day, just, just really not a good person. Um, was horrible to my mother and 
you couldn't count on him or trust him for anything because he'd go go behind your back. Even his own children, he'd go behind your back and just stab you in the back with no problem. Mm. And my ex, while we were together, he would always, you know, stand up for me and say, oh, my God, your dad is horrible. And that, that's not the way a man behaves and on and on and on. And as soon as I left him, guess who he became best friends with? Let me take a right? minute to guess. Yeah. <laughs> to exploit that. Right? right. Because he knew my father would, would not be on my side. Right. right? Exactly. Not stand up for his daughter. Right. or anything. so. So that's what they do. And the, while they're doing this, here's, here's the, here's the ter- the most damaging part of it is that we don't know that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's so slow and manipulative and, um, manipulative and also this smear campaign that they start, which is just virtually talking about you when you're not around right. and setting up a, setting up a narrative about you. Right. right. So that by the time you find out about it, it's way too late. Right. And especially when you're leaving them. And that's one of the things that, you know, I, every, I have yet to not hear a woman say this when they, when they get out from a narcissist is they're like, I just found out that he was saying this about me and lying about me and saying all these terrible things. And that, yeah, it's, yeah, that's exactly what they do because they, they have an image to uphold right? Wherever they are. So, um, and image is very important. Yeah. And should I, should I summarize from your statement that image and reputation is everything to them? Absolutely. And also, and the reason is because they want to cover up their own shame, right? Right. Narcissists are filled with shame, um, and they're cowards. Mm. So, so what they do is, yeah, they have to cover that up and, you know, and, and keep, keep the abuse hidden. Um, and that's why the people only closest to them, like their spouses or their partner, you know, partners or their children are the only ones that see the true narcissist. And they're really good at it. I mean, even today, I, I can't even tell you the fantastic stories that he's concocted, that my ex concocted about me that people still believe, right? Because why wouldn't you believe a guy who's so charming, wonderful, you know? narcissistic abuse or narcissistic behavior because I'm just sure everybody in the audience kind of understands that there's an overview of stages this initial idealization of the the perfect relationship you know that you're adding status and popularity and success to them and that's why they've kind of chosen you and then right. the devaluation would be stage two where they kind of the you as a victim don't really even are you don't even know this is happening you're completely unaware right. that this stage has begun and the difference between the public game and the private game starts to show a little bit of concern but it turns into this jealous like awkward stage and then you start to doubt your behavior and you start to just doubt the entire thing and then they become cold like uncaring overnight yeah um, and then this really the, the making of the excuses where you said you know on, on the inappropriate behavior when the math starts to fall when they start to show like the right love that their excuses or if you don't accept well why can't I get the terms and right. where are you going and how can and 
this hockey game or, you know, what question it is or, you know, or why do we have to go to this dinner party? I really don't want to go to that dinner party. They and they're always managing down your expectations with verbal and emotional abuse. Like, oh, well, right. you don't have such high expectations and, you know, don't think my life's going to change and it's all just going to be the same. And, you know, it's your responsibility to handle that. But what happens is then all of a sudden stage three begins with disregard, which you yeah. where out of the blue, either with a text or a call or whatever, there's, they're dismissed away and they start don't mind my French, a crazy bitch. Yeah. So, and then you mentioned that narcissists target your strengths and call them your weaknesses, right? You're right. And all of a sudden it's like, I never said you were a good mother. Like, uh, you know, like what? It's like, it, it, it literally Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Yeah. And that's where the crazy making happens. And that's the, it's, it's, it's gaslighting, right? And gaslighting means that, um, you know, it's, um, is that you, they, they make you doubt your own memory or perception. You know, I used to, I, now I know I have a good memory, but at the time I used to start doubting my memory because he would say things like, oh, you didn't, you're not remembering that right. Or I never said that. Or, um, and, and again, it just starts, it's understandable that most victims feel absolutely crazy, right? Or they feel like they're going crazy because they can't, it's like you're living in a fog right. and you're just in, in a constant state of confusion because it, nothing is that's happening is making sense. Right. You know, for example, one of the ways that, uh, the, the most effective way that my ex, um, got to me was in the beginning, you know, praising what a great mother I was. And I had three children and there was nothing more important to me than my boys. Right. I had, I loved being a mom. It was just, it was just my life. Right. That was where I defined my success. So, um, so over the years he would tell and everybody else, even when we were out in public together or when he would talk to people away from me, you know, I'd have even my own friends come and say, oh my God, your husband loves you so much. He thinks you're just the best mom. Mm. And I'd think that doesn't make any sense to me because just yesterday he was telling me that I couldn't hack it compared to his sister, right? That I wasn't a good mom and I couldn't handle my kids. And just on just these constant comments, putting me down as far as being a mom. Right. And I thought, you know, even when people would come to me and say, oh my God, your husband just thinks you're the best mother. That's all he talks about. And I, and if that doesn't make you crazy, I don't know what does because I thought, wait a second, is this me? Am I not hearing him right? Or may, am I making too much? Am I too sensitive? Right. Am I too emotional? Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm worn out or maybe my kids are too much. Maybe he's telling me the truth. I don't know. Um, but that's exactly what they do is they, that, that's why you start to feel crazy because you're like, this does not add up. Right. right? right. What, what does add up is if he were to hit me and I could look at the mirror and I could say, look, I have a black eye that proves that he's hurting me. Mm -hmm. Right. But when in the, in the lack of any bruises or broken bones, it's like, how do, how do you prove it? How do you explain it when you can't even explain it to yourself? Yeah, I, I the feeling of uh, being so incredibly um, 
confused about what mm -hmm. reality is and what is a fabricated story. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about the silent treatment? Have you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Did yeah, you I experience that really well. the silent treatment in, oh. in any narcissistic relationships? And what are, the, what are the signs of the silent treatment? Why do they give you the silent treatment? Yeah, the silent treatment. Um, I wrote a piece called The Violence of Silence mm. because the silent, the silent treatment was the most abusive tactic that my ex used. Um, this... I can't even still to this day put into words um, how devastating it was to me where he would um, walk around me for usually up until th about three days was the average when I would finally confront him in tears and begging and, you know, for him to talk to me. Um, but it's, it's not just like, I mean, it's, it's understandable. Let's say if a healthy couple, you get in a fight and maybe you're pissed off and you're like, you know what? I'm not talking to you for an hour because you're pissing me off. Um, you know, that's understandable. But what they do is on purpose. So the silent treatment, this is what it would look like for me is that he would just, it's not like he, um, you know, didn't come home or even avoided me, but he would come home from work. And I could literally be standing by the window sobbing, right? Because I was in so much pain. And he would just walk by me as though I was a piece of furniture and not even say a word to me. And then not only that, but he would go to our children and just be totally normal, you know? And he'd talk in that voice like, hey, what do you guys want to do tonight or have for dinner? Or And meanwhile, I'm just dying over in the corner, right? Because he won't talk to me because he's done something he won't apologize for. And, um, and this would go on for days. And, um, and this is where the, that psychologist who was a, who was an expert on MPD. Um, that's the other thing that he told me is why they can do that. And that's when he mentioned that, you know, he doesn't see you as human. That's why he's able to just walk around you when he sees you in pain. Right. And that goes back to my analogy of, you know, I remember that I could be on fire and he would just stand there and glare at me. You know, narcissists have this very particular glare and no healthy person has the ability to stand there and just glare at somebody who's in so much pain, right? Especially right. pain that they've caused. Right. So the silent treatment is one of the most damaging and one of the most useful tactics that a narcissist can employ to get their victim to just die a little bit inside right. you know honestly that's what it felt like I mean I felt like my heart was just concaving to see his cruelty in the face of my pain right I see the silent treatment as a way to try to punish and control yes. and absolutely boundaries and avoid any and all responsibility and issues uh, it's right. just a way of them punishing you so with that said, what do you find to be some of the top behaviors? I mean, from my experience, it's definitely a lack of empathy, a little bit of grandiosity, um, entitlement, uh, and manipulation, and a lot of anger, rage. That's what you were talking about with the change of a paper, for, uh, excuse me, the change like that of a, an expression yeah. on a person 
person's face where the eyes just kind of bulge out and they get very like their face, they turn into like a, a, an angry monster. Their face just changes. They may not throw something, but there's that sense of inside of them that's not controllable. And then I, I guess I would say paranoia, a little bit of paranoia. Absolutely. Definitely jealousy yeah. and there's the sense of maybe um, lack of insight into things and a little bit of guilt, but not really wanting to express it. Um, you know, and we all as human beings have a degree of self-care, of a desire for self-preservation. So this, I think the word narcissism gets a bad rap because there's a difference between narcissism, nar narcissistic behavior, narcissism, and then narcissistic it's like the degrees of it. So is it narcissistic to care about your well-being and, and, you know, looking presentable when you leave the house and taking care of yourself and eating a few good meals and going to the gym and, and maybe getting your hair done? You know, wanting to right. be presentable. And I don't think that those normal, everyday um, self-preservation, self-respect, self-care is narcissistic when no absolutely yeah not. absolutely not so i mean in fact if you don't then it, that's a whole nother discussion but it's when the behavior gets more uh this chronic um incessant manipulative behavior and exactly when you started our conversation with uh, like when somebody cherishes you and they do something wrong they feel they feel bad about it. They apologize. They do everything in their power to change their behavior. And if they can't change their behavior for whatever, they make amends and seek therapy and ultimately, you know, maybe change the relationship because something can't happen or can't change. But when the, there's this, you know, very, very long standing behavior, it starts to make the, the person who the, you know, victim, I'm not a fan of that word, although it's, they start to what would you find were your top coping mechanisms living under the roof of somebody that was constantly treating you this way? How did you cope? Uh, yeah, well, not very well. <laughs> um, but, I don't mean to um, laugh. It was just funny yeah. the way you said it. Oh, yeah. no, no, you're, it's right. Like I said, I put myself into an emotional coma the past few years yeah. to just get from, because I had kids, right? And so, how long were you together, mom, Susanna, before you realized this relationship is not healthy and I think I need to get out? Uh, I never thought that. I thought that um, the only reason that I left was because I finally, well, there was a moment where I discovered he was living a double life which included um, messing around with teenage immigrant girls. Oh, my. Um, and at that point, that was when I threatened to leave him, which sent us to the marriage counseling, which is where I found the psychologist who told okay. me. So there was, before that, I, you know, I made a vow uh, and I had kids. Right. And so I was under the, you know, I was one of those thinkers that's just like, no, I'm not going to break up the family. Yeah. I'm going to work harder because this is my fault. So right? I call so, that um, um, epidemic. I, I really do believe, Susanna, that it's an epidemic. And I, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions, but I call it staying together for the children. And yeah, I, worst idea ever. Yeah. <laughs> worst idea ever. You know, uh, I love
therapists and uh, child experts, and I've not met one of them that doesn't agree with that statement you just made, because children are very wise, and they know when mom and dad aren't getting along, and they know when mom and dad are fighting, and they know when mom and dad are living separate parallel lives, or they know when mom and dad are just basically ships that pass in the night, and they know when mom and dad are not really living in a thriving, healthy supportive, mutually supportive, loving relationship and what's happening, but we're giving them an example of what not to do. Unfortunately, that's not what happens because that's what they see. And they see, well, that's just the way dad treated mom. And that's the way mom treated dad and they stayed together. So I guess I have to too. But I want everyone out there to know that, you know, Susanna didn't write this book so that she could become famous or rich or powerful or any of the above. She wrote this book to bear her soul and she sh shared a vulnerable story. And there may be haters out there and there may be people that are, you know, questioning and finger pointing, but I say, who cares? Because if you can spare and save one person from the anguish that you went through, my dear, and I mean that from the pit of my belly and the tips of my toes, then isn't it worth it? I can't thank you enough for having the courage and the curiosity to really explore your relationship so much so that you really took the brilliance that you have to write such a beautiful story to share with so many other women out there that are in marriages that just don't feel right. They don't feel like a fit. It feels uh, you know, uncomfortable, fearful, overwhelming, abusive. Fill in the word you wanna fill in. Everybody's different. So thank you. And tell everybody how they can get a copy of your book because I wanna get your book into as many hands as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd love to offer anybody listening a free copy and you nailed it. I'm not. I'm definitely not doing this for the money. Um, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing this is that that I keep talking and telling my stories because I know somebody in particular really, really, really wants me to shut up. And um, and I also had the experience of after I left my ex um, for two years, and this is something that narcissists do, so beware, um, is that for two years after, he was stalking me both online and off. And, and we live three states apart, so... Um, so this is a person who is, you know, so beyond controlling that he's tried to get, get me in every way to shut up and stop telling my story. Um, so I take a little pleasure out of, you know, keep talking. And that's what I want to convey to anybody out there who is, you know, just feeling, um, just feeling alone and, um, and like, you know, that, that nobody's going to understand what they're going through is, um, you know, remember that if you're involved with an abuser, they, they depend on your silence because it makes you powerless. Right. right. So I am on the side of, you know, speak up, even if your voice shakes, you just, you tell your story, um, in the words of, um, Oh, what's the, what's the author now? I can't think of her name. There's an author that says, um, you know, write, tell your stories. If, if people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved. <laughs> no, yeah. right. So it's like, you know what? I'm doing nothing but telling the truth out there. So, um, so like I said, my book is available. You can, you can get it on my website, which is at SusannaQuintana.com. You can find me on Facebook and you can send me a message and get it there. 
Um, you can uh, send me an email at support at SusannaQuintana.com. Um, either way, I'm, I'm out there and just reach out to me and I'd love to offer you a free copy. And also just a reminder that you're not alone in this. Mm. Yeah. That used to be one of my uh, mottos is you're not alone because I felt so alone in my marriage and in my situation, I was ter terrified to share my feelings. So I just kept putting on a happy face and walking the walk and doing the best I could in my work and being a mother and, and, and my, in my role as what I thought was me. And when I finally had the courage to step out of sharing my own story, which is very different than yours. And aren't they all my dear? I mean, but right. there's so many parallel lives, Susanna, and we as women, yep. I feel a personal responsibility to be able to be there because I don't want anyone to have to go through what I went through in divorce court. Exactly. Was eight and a half years of hell and it was not fun. And I take full responsibility for my demise of the relationship. I was not a perfect wife and I, you know, made a lot of mistakes, but I have apologized for all of them and changed my life completely. And I think that's why my story is so powerful is because I am living proof that you can change. And no matter the situation you're in, anything is possible. So reach out, ask for support, get the help you need, do your research, get organized, make that phone call, reach out to somebody. Don't feel alone because if Susanna can change her life and Paulette can change her life, you can too. So with Absolutely. that, my dear, I just want to give you a huge virtual hug. I love your book. I have about uh, one more chapter to to write. Uh, sorry, to read tonight, but it it really changed my entire perspective on being able to coach people appropriately. And I don't profess to be a therapist. I know a lot of therapists that specialize in this, and I recommend them. So. You know, you know enough about it and you're not a therapist and I know enough about it and I'm not a therapist, at least to guide people in the right direction. So there, Absolutely. there is a wonderful clinical psychologist out there, Linda Martinez-Louise, L-U-I-S, that um, has a great podcast too if you're really dealing with um, something and you're looking for a free, um, very short little podcast. Um, she is an expert and there's so many people out there that can help you. So whether you're dealing with a, you know, a, the beginning of um, the stage of, oh my gosh, I really think I need to make some changes in my life, but I don't know how, or you're stuck in the middle of it and you just need to know how to get through it and survive, or you're at the end and you really know how to down, you know, transform your life and maybe start a new business and move on. There's really so many things you can do. So thank you, Susanna. And to all of you out there, thank you for listening. You know how to find me, PaulettegloriaHarwood.com. I'm all over social media too. And um, you know that you have a friend behind you with Susanna and myself. So we're walking through the journey. So with that, thank you, Susanna. Thank you, Paulette, so much. My pleasure. Take care, everybody. Talk to you. Okay.